0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Hey, we do the weekly political roundup with former Toronto Star journalist Richard Brennan. Mike Schreiner, leader of the Ontario Green Party and the MPP for Guelph, has announced he's going to bring a trio of bills aimed at protecting Ontario's greenbelt. He'll join us and talk about that. And why hasn't Ontario implemented a deposit return system for cans and bottles yet? It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML... Earlier in the program uh, this week, of course, we talked with uh, Justice Minister David Lametti about the bill that he was introducing uh, about uh, bail reform, essentially. Well, the opposition leader, uh, Pierre Polyev, has uh, responded to that already, notwithstanding the fact that a lot of police associations and chiefs of police uh, have uh, given a thumbs up to uh, to the proposed legislation. Uh, Mr. Polyev says no, and uh, it's just not going to happen. He says jail, not bail, and uh, well some experts have light weighed in on this, legal experts, that is, when looking at the Conservative Party's uh, proposed bail reforms, and they, they see the plan may not actually work from a constitutional standpoint. Uh, here's what uh, John Kennedy reports.
1: Polyev says if he's elected, his government will require repeat violent offenders who are newly arrested for violent crimes to remain behind bars throughout their trial without accessing bail. But the Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees that anyone who is charged with a crime will not be denied reasonable bail without just cause. Nicole Myers, a Queen's University sociologist, says Polyev is trying to exploit public fears following high-profile instances of crime. John Kennedy, the Canadian Press.
0: Well, let's use that as our uh, jumping on point here for the program and uh, our uh, weekly visit with uh, Richard Brennan. Richard, of course, is a former journalist with the Toronto Star who covered Queens Park and Parliament Hill for, an, uh, excuse me, a number of years. Uh, Badger, great to have you back on the program, and uh, well, we got a lot of ground to cover. Let's let's talk about Mr. Polyev uh, and his idea of bail reform. Uh, you were around when the Harper government introduced their tough on crime legislation a few years ago. Is this déjà vu all over again?
2: Well, it is a bit, and you can you can imagine the frustration. Uh, I can I can not much agree with Mr. Polya, but I do agree with that there there people are frustrated when they see repeat offenders get bail. But this is a this is a fine line that they have to walk because and we saw just recently what the the federal government is proposing. And like you pointed out, Bill rightly pointed out that a lot of the police uh, associations and police services have signed on and said it's a it's a it's a good bill. He wants to go further and and say that uh, Mr. Polyev wants to go further and say that you know anybody who's a repeated uh, violent offender is not entitled to bail. Period. Well, I think there's some real problems there because I mean you're you're entitled to reasonable bail and you know the uh, the presumption of innocence. And that that would just throw that out the window. so I, I, I can't uh, that would be challenged immediately under the charter. you You can't just holus bolus decide that because somebody has committed a crime before, be it violent or otherwise, that they're not entitled to bail. That's not the way it works. So again, I can see, you know, I can see the frustration. He's speaking a lot. Let, let me tell you, he's speaking on behalf of a lot of people. When he wants this crackdown, but you again, you just can't do it the way he's suggested. You know, pass legislation that withdraws a, uh, a person's rights. And That's what so, he's that's basically what he's talking about.
0: Yeah, and th- uh, you're right. There's a lot to unpack here, and and I, I share that concern. You and I talked about it after uh, the, the murder of that uh, the OPP officer who was just laid to rest yesterday, of course, uh, up in Ottawa. And and it is frustrating, and and you hate to hear stories like that, but. You know, I, I mentioned and referenced the Harper government's uh, tough on, on crime legislation. Uh, Ron Nich- Justice Minister Nicholson from Niagara Falls was uh, on the show a number of times. Most of those things, as you remember, uh, were included in ominous bills. You know, I'm going to give a you know a tax break to this group here. Oh, by the way, we're going to lock people up and throw away the key, uh, and that's how they passed it. But as you all reported back in those days. Uh, just about every one of those pieces of legislation uh, were tossed out by the Supreme Court as unconstitutional. Uh, I guess Mr. Polio didn't get that email, but because he's basically saying the same thing. Uh, the example he used yesterday, I don't know if you saw the scrum that he, he was involved in with the media. He says if somebody, uh, you know, commits six or seven crimes and gets arrested again for another crime, they shouldn't get bail. Well, that goes against the very constitution. In other words, we're assuming he's guilty automatically, that individual, instead of innocent. And that's not the way our system works.
2: Presumption of innocence. That's what it's based yeah. on. Uh sure, we look at these, you know, these uh, you know folks that commit crimes one crime after another, some of them violent, but <clears throat> you might commit a, a you know t- two or three violent crimes but you might get picked up for shoplifting, and uh, you know, does that mean that you're 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 not entitled to bail? It 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 it's all well and good to you know, let this spill this spill out of your mouth and say, well, you know, we're going to get tough on crime, and you know, bad actors aren't going to get away with this any longer. That's all well and good, but the point is, there's rules and regulations to prevent abuse. And what he's talking about will certainly be seen as abuse mm-hmm. under the under the charter.
0: Yeah, and and again, you know, we we got a, a typical Pierre Pauli answer here, he went on with examples like that and and said, you know, that uh, he says the courts have backed him up on that approach. Well, there's no evidence of that. I mean, you know, he, you can't make up facts, you know, but you know, that what was that old line? You're you know. You're entitled to your own facts, but uh, th- that's not the truth in situations like this. So, and 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 I know the, f- the criticism is always going to be, "Oh, there you go, you're just you coddling up to the bad guys," and, and that's not the case at all. But if you, there's no sense in having a charter of rights and freedoms if you're not going to adhere to it. And and even the lowest of the low who commit some of these heinous crimes are still Canadian citizens, and and the charter has to apply. Now we can have a discussion about the justice system itself. Uh, and about, you know, uh, how quickly the trials are actually going through. I, the number of people that are in jail right now uh, are actually awaiting trial in, in many cases, uh, which tells me there's a much bigger problem here than just bail itself.
2: Well, Bill, I'll tell you, the majority of people right now in provincial jails are doing dead time because they're awaiting trial. They haven't been convicted of anything, not, not for particular what they've been charged with. In other cases, maybe but they're just waiting for a trial. And and that's, I mean, that's not right uh, and under any circumstance. I know people say, you know, we gotta get tough tough on these guys. Well, the fact is the majority of the people that are sitting in jail right now, provincial jails, have not been found guilty of what they're charged for, with. They have, even, you know, they their case has not even been heard yet. So it's all well and good to do this tough on crime nonsense, and look at—I'm the last guy that's going to coddle, uh, you know, the bad guys. Because you know, if you're if you're a criminal and you're convicted, you know, you should go to jail. That's it. You know, under the circumstances applied. But to suggest that everybody in the jails today are, are serving or there are heinous criminals—well, it's just not true.
0: No, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting debate uh, once they start uh, going back and forth on this in, in the Commons in the next little while, and uh, we'll see just uh, exactly what kind of support uh, Mister Paulie was going to have uh, from outside of his own caucus. Anyway, uh, listen, I we want to cover provincial and federal politics. This is going—that's a big issue, of course, uh, on the federal scene. Uh, provincially, though, uh, I got to ask you about the announcement uh, just a couple of days ago here from uh, Municipal Affairs Minister uh, about basically uh, divorcing uh, Brampton and and, and Peel region and Mississauga and Caledon. They were all part of that regional government that uh, was formed in 1974 by the Davis government. And basically, he's going to blow that up and basically tell these guys they're on their own. Um, Now, I I don't know what Patrick Brown or Ronnie Crombie or anyone else are thinking about this right now, uh, but this is almost the reverse of what Mike Harris did with amalgamation. This is divorce as opposed to a shotgun wedding. Uh, But I'm afraid the results may well be the same. In other words, an awful lot of acrimony and animosity.
2: This is going to make a Hollywood divorce look like child's play. (laughs) This, Bill, I tell you, this is going to be rot with problems. It's going to cost a ton of dough to break up these three communities. It's going to cause all kinds of consternation, you know, by, by the various municipalities involved. This is all because Mississauga has always wanted to be, for a great many times, uh, years, wanted to be a standalone community and has always told their uh, taxpayers that the other communities in the region are just bleeding them dry. Well, I would say probably there is some truth to that, But it's not entirely true. You know, this community has worked for, like you said, Bill, all those years. And all of a sudden, it it doesn't work anymore. Like, why? And and the cost is going to be huge. I mean, Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton, is already saying that he thinks that Mississauga is on the hook for a billion dollars. For money, they've sucked out of Brampton to, to do you know many things, including uh, you know uh, sewage treatment plants and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm talking about. Th- this is going to be a massive mess, and I can't you know, see and, and the uh, you, why it's necessary.
0: Yeah. We, we, I i to got the analogy, of course, of a marriage breakup in this, man. But, uh, but, you know, when it goes ugly, as you say, like with a Hollywood divorce, you know, they fight over who gets the couch, who gets the car, who gets the dog, who gets it. Well, the same thing's going to happen there. Like you say, the water treatment plant is in Mississauga and Patrick Brown says, well, we've got to get one of them too. Then if we're going to have our own city, uh, who's going to pay for that? And then, you know, he wants compensation. Uh, and that's that's where this is going to come down to it's going to be a fight over over who owns what and then they they're going to say okay then I want to be compensated uh, Mississauga I don't think is going to pay Brampton a cent is the province going to step in and 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 cover these costs I don't think so so just where's this going to go well
2: that had to make me laugh when i said ford's going to make sure everybody's treated correctly i don't believe that for a second he's going to stand back and watch the mud fly and, you know, and say, you guys work it out. That's what, that's, what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, where, what's going to happen to policing? What's going to happen to ambulance service, you know, and and parks and you name it, just, it's just a gigantic, you know, mess. I, I know that, you know, the individual communities have parks of their own and stuff like that, but you know, the things, the infrastructure that is needed to, that has been built to uh, supply and to service all these communities over the years. So is that just going to be fractured? And, and all of a sudden, you know, the municipalities no longer have sewage uh, uh, system treatment uh, because it's in another community. I mean, it's crazy. There's already talking, by Bill, by the way, of, you know, uh, Brampton, Assuming land up to King Street in 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 Caled, Caledon, and then from there it it will continue it'll be continue to be Caledon. Like this is the kind of stuff that they're already talking about, you know. It's it's so I think so absurd in in reality that people at the end of the day will say, why did we ever entertain this?
0: Well, I mean, you know, because he throws the bone, he has promised uh, that when he does this, and it's going to happen in 2025, uh, he's going to give super mayor powers to all three of the mayors of those of those communities, and that's that's something that uh, you know that make their mouths water to be able to have that kind of power. Uh, but, but what's, uh, I think even of greater concern at this stage is, uh, is that minister Clark was quite clear when he made this announcement earlier this week that he said, look at these other regional governments like Niagara, uh, and, and a couple of other places that he mentioned Durham, uh, York region, uh, and, and uh, even Halton, uh, you're next. Uh, so it's, it's, this is going to spread. This is just like Mike Harris and the amalgamation thing. And they always do this under the, the guys that this is going to save you millions. It, no, it doesn't. It costs millions. To do this sort of stuff, and it's uh, it's an ugly situation here, and and I, people just don't seem to understand just how extensive the the, the problems are going to be once these guys sit down at the table.
2: This is going to cost, at the end of the day, Bill. This is going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars to break up these communities, and and you a, don't, nobody's ever talking talking about that. You didn't hear the uh, the municipal affairs minister or the, or the premier talk about what it's going to cost, and it will be
0: huge. At times, however many municipalities they want to do this with, and, and it's, it's going to be somewhat problematic. But remember, Toronto was the first amalgamated city, and, and you know, and I think Harris and his, his team saw just what a disaster it was, and they did foot the bill for that because they didn't want to look bad. They, oh, this amalgamation thing will work, and they, they threw a ton of money at Toronto. Uh, but then when they did with Hamilton and Ottawa and Sudbury and Chatham-Kent, uh, they, they basically said, you guys are on your own. And uh, there's still, as you know, in the Hamilton area, from that, from that amalgamation, which actually took place in 2000, that's 23 years ago now. There's still some bad blood here between you know the rural areas and and the smaller you know the Ancasters, the Dundases, and and and, and the inner city itself too. That that's that we thought all oh, that'll go away in four or five years. It's it's still there. Maybe not as bad, but it is still there.
2: It's still Ron Dundas. Let me tell you.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll see what happens. I mean, like I said, Mayor Brown and Mayor Crombie look pretty happy about it yesterday. But uh, but you know, when do they sit down and say, "Okay, no, I want that. No, that belongs to me." It's 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 going to get messy and uh, be good for us, I guess, because we'll have have an awful lot to talk about. But I'm feeling badly for the people in those communities. Uh, as always, Richard, thank you so much for the time today. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll talk again soon. Yeah. You
2: too, Bill. Thanks again.
0: Take care. Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star who covered those amalgamation stories of course, uh, back in the uh, early 1990s and uh, into 2000. And uh, Well, we wish them well in, in Brampton and Mississauga and in Caledon. You're listening
3: to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Unequivocally, we won't touch the green belt. Uh, unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear, people don't want me touching the green belt, We won't touch the Greenbelt. We'll figure out Uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. But all my friends, I listen to you. You don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. Well yeah okay uh, and you can take that to the bank or not I guess uh, that of course is a Premier Doug Ford and that was not that long ago and we all know what's happened since then of course he has opened up uh, sections of the green belt uh, and now he's called it a a, sh- a scam uh, the green belt hold he says the legislation was a failed piece of legislation uh, that just was no good at all uh, so you kind of get the idea where he's going on this uh, there's some reaction to that as you might expect at uh, Queen's Park and uh, our next guest is uh, somebody who's going to try to take some action uh, to try to preserve the Green Belt. Uh, he, of course, is uh, Mike Schreiner. Mike is the MPP for Guelph and also the leader of the Ontario Green Party. Uh, and he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to, uh, to talk about his reaction and, and what he plans to do about it. Uh, Mike, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us today.
3: Hey, Bill. Always a pleasure to be on. And hopefully everyone's going to have a good holiday weekend.
0: <clears throat> I'm hoping for it, too. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you disagree with the uh, Premier's assessment that uh, the Green Belt is just a scam.
3: Well, the only scam going on is the premier's contention that one, the Greenbelt is a scam, and two, that his plans are going to do anything to address the housing affordability crisis. We've had numerous studies show that it's not a shortage of land that is leading to the housing affordability crisis. As a matter of fact, we already have enough land approved for development in the Greater Golden Horseshoe to build 2 million homes. So the only thing this is about is the premier opening up prime farmland, wetlands, grasslands and forests for development. So a handful of land speculators can cash in making billions and the rest of us are gonna pay the price for that. Higher cost of servicing low density sprawl and higher cost to our families who are gonna have to commute further to be able to find a home. We shouldn't be forcing young people to drive until they qualify for a mortgage. Let's build homes that people can actually afford in the communities they want to live in,
0: close to where they work. You are planning on introducing three different private members bills. Let's talk about those.
3: Yeah, Bill. So I introduced them in the legislature on Wednesday. Uh, One is hands off the Greenbelt Act, which would simply make it um, illegal to do these land swaps that the premier is proposing and would actually make it retroactive back to predate the day in which the premier said they would take the 7,400 acres out of the greenbelt. The second one is no more highways in the greenbelt and that's focused on 400 series highways. Uh, The 413 highly controversial. Why we would be spending billion dollars on a highway that's gonna save people 30 seconds in commute time makes absolutely no sense to me and pave over parts of the greenbelt. And the third one is no more pits and quarries in the greenbelt, which is basically say, if you're going to put in an application for a new gravel pit or quarry in the greenbelt, that's not gonna be allowed. This is precious land. This is the farmland that feeds us and contributes $50 billion to the province's economy. It's the wetlands, grasslands and forests that clean our drinking water, protect us from flooding and other extreme weather events and provide just beautiful places for families to be able to access and enjoy nature and the physical and mental health benefits of doing so.
0: You know the thing that that I, I still can't seem to get around here is uh, is the the insensitivity about this. And I know people. Oh, you I'm not a tree hugger. No, no, I don't. I'm not either. Uh, but I understand and I appreciate nature, and I understand the balance of nature. And I, that's part of the discussion that uh, this this government doesn't seem to want to partake of. Uh, that if you start messing around with some of those lands, as you mentioned, first of all, you you're you're going to eliminate a good deal of farmland when you do this. And uh, you think grocery prices are high now. Uh, just wait until you, you know, find out that we're growing less now. I'm going to, you know, and try exactly. still trying to feed our families. That, that's one element. But we also know that we can upset the balance of nature. Water tables, uh, a number of different ecosystems, uh, species of, of, of wildlife that can be actually eliminated by these sorts of things. And there's always a, a, a reaction in nature to that, Mike. And I, I, I'm not... An, an expert in this to say, well, this is what it's going to cause. But we already know things like more flooding uh, in in other areas, in in urban areas, as a result of that, uh, and and a number of different things here. And they just seem to be oblivious to that.
3: Oh yeah, it's just it's just outrageous. It's reckless. It's dangerous. What the premier is trying to do now, ramping up and escalating his rhetoric uh, around the fact that he wants to destroy the greenbelt. Uh, even after he promised not to do it. And, you know, we've documented almost 18 times where either the premier or the his minister of uh, housing in the legislature explicitly said, we will not touch the green belt. We will not develop the green belt. And now the premier is hell bent on destroying the green belt. And I had Victor Doyle at Queen's Park this week, and he was one of the main professional planning architects uh, designing the green belt. And he talked about the fact that it was a year and a half of consultations with farmers, with local communities, with municipal leaders, with academic experts, with planning experts, with hydrogeologists. Um, wildlife experts planning out protecting the most sensitive ecosystems in farmland um, in the Greater Golden Horseshoe, and and that's how the Green Belt was designed. It was designed to protect the farmland that feeds us and contributes fifty billion dollars to the provincial economy. It was designed to protect the wetlands, grasslands, and forests that are just vital to cleaning our drinking water and protecting us from extreme weather events like flooding. As a matter of fact, the Greenbelt directly contributes $3.2 billion of ecosystem services each and every year, the primary one being protecting our homes and our businesses and our infrastructure from flooding.
0: And and listen, I know one of the points that he's uh, brought up a couple of times, both Minister uh, Clark and, and the Premier himself, I guess, really is that well come on the previous Liberal government uh, incurred on the but it's because it's it's not a perfect act there is no such thing as a perfect piece of legislation uh, there has been reevaluation, and and they, yes they have had some changes to it and places that made have an originally been included in the green belt have been excluded from it but that's after they went through a process Mike you know about that there's there was an environmental uh, assessments that were redone on this there was a, a back and forth about this and public consultations about it before they made those sorts of announcements he's eliminated all that so basically oh, oh, uh, exactly this this Think- is all being run out of the premier's office now there 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 are no tribunals there are no environmental assessments anymore well exactly bill i mean you, you nailed it i mean the
3: premier says the green belt was drawn with crayons on the back of a napkin the only thing that's been drawn with crayons on the back of the na- of a napkin probably the stag and doe party it was the premier carving out seven thousand four hundred acres of greenbelt land with no rationale or explanation of why those lands were carved out of the Greenbelt. As a matter of fact, the Duffin Rouge Agricultural Preserve even had an additional layers of protection on it through an act specifically designed to protect that land because it is top top productive farmland. and So the Premier not only pulled it out of the Greenbelt, he actually passed legislation to revoke a whole bunch of conservation easements on that land and to put what the liberals did in context and you know i raised concerns at the time when the when the liberals did take land out of the green belt but the bottom line is is 340 acres were removed from the green belt um right now premier ford is removing 7,400. and when the liberals did it it was part of a coordinated review every legislation or most pieces of legislation especially one like this has a review process where you know every 10 years you review it you you go through a you know a lot of consultation with communities farmers experts around if there needs to be you know some boundary adjustments some were made affecting 340 acres again as part of a coordinated review that had pretty broad consensus that you know nobody was you know very upset about it um, compared to what's happening right now where you've got people protesting all over the province, telling the premier to keep his hands off the Greenbelt, to keep his promise. I was in the Duffin Rouge Ag Preserve area, which is, you know, Durham region, sort of north of Pickering, east of Markham, right next to the um, Rouge Urban National Park. Mm-hmm. And there's little tiny hamlets uh, throughout the area, you know, maybe 20, 30 houses or so. And the number of signs telling the Premier, keep your promise, keep your hands off our green belt, homemade signs. I mean, it was just the level of anger at the Premier's broken promise. You could see it. You could feel it
0: everywhere. Well, uh, we don't know how far he's going to go with this. And uh, we'll certainly be watching and, uh, as we will with the, uh, your processes as well. Mike, as always, thank you for the time today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend.
3: Hey, you too, Bill. Always a pleasure to be on and I hope all your listeners have a good holiday weekend.
0: You betcha. Take care. Mike Schreider, uh, leader of the Ontario Green Party and of course the MPP for Guelph.
3: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: The government's been talking for the last little while about uh, with the recycling program and of course they want to take the cost of the, the municipal recycling away from the, the community and, and actually have industry uh, paying for it. And, and as a result, of course, industry stands back and said, well, there's going to there's be an extra tax and it's not working out the way it's supposed to. They just pass the cost on to consumers anyway. But there is an easier way recycling is important we know that uh but you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time to come up with a system like that and our next guest uh wrote a, an interesting piece uh, uh, it's on the tbo.org webpage right now it says please can ontario just implement a deposit return system for cans and bottles the author of the piece uh, is with us right now he is john michael mcgrath who is a digital media producer with Tvo. uh john pleasure to have you back on the show thanks so much for this today
1: uh, great to be back thank you so much
0: we've been going back and forth and governments are going back and forth and industries are going back and forth with this about recycling and who's going to pay for what and everything. According to, I, I read the piece with great interest yesterday, John, I mean the answer is really kind of right under their nose here, isn't it?
1: It really is. And I think, you know, some, some history here is a useful context, right? When the Peterson government brought in the blue box curbside recycling program uh, in 1985, you know there was this real problem of you know uh, we we had uh, litter certainly as much as we do today, uh, but it was like there were a lot of glass bottles and uh, a lot of plastic bottles uh, collecting in you know uh, ditches and by the roadside at parks and that kind of thing, and other jurisdictions had moved on this uh, before Ontario had, and they had. Uh, implemented deposit return schemes as a way of uh, getting people to return uh, beer cans and pop cans and and bottles and that kind of thing. Uh, what Ontario had at the same time as uh, as as it was having this this big debate about litter and and uh, beverage containers uh, broadly was. Uh, a, a question of of extending the lifespan of a lot of landfills around the province, including uh, most uh, crucially around Toronto. And so mm-hmm. the idea was like, okay, we're going to implement this blue bin program and that's going to not just handle the beverage containers, but it's also going to extend the lifespan of all of these landfills. So there were two issues they were trying to deal with. Now you fast forward, uh, gosh, uh, 50 years almost. And um, the... The problem with the landfills is still there. It's different now. Um, But beverage containers are looking like this thing that is just going to, uh, it it, it is going to make a problem for the government if uh, industry doesn't play along. It looks like the government has, with a mixture of threats and cajoling, has gotten industry to agree to not just stick a fee on the receipts for uh, uh, every time you buy you know uh, twenty four uh, beer or twenty four well not beer but uh, twenty four cans of coke let 's say it, so far that 's not like a that 's not a law uh, it 's just an agreement between the government and industry and any retailer can walk away from that agreement if they uh, want to and they, they push hard enough so at the moment the government is, is is still in this precarious position where the whole agreement could fall apart they could get a very unpopular a surprise if Walmart, for example, starts slapping a, a new charge on people's bills and we could just go back to we could go to the deposit return system that we know Ontarians understand because they use it maybe not every day, but, you know,
0: they, they use it every time they go and shop at the beer store. Yeah, I mean, that's the classic example of it, isn't it? Uh, you know, you get your money back. What is it, five or ten cents? I forget what it is now. And and you know that that's the guy, the pickup truck who's you know returning eighteen empty cases. That's the guy I always get behind. By the way, when I go to do it. Yeah. Uh, but but you come back with a few. You know, in other words, you're getting a discount on the next case of beer you buy because you you're getting the deposit back. It makes all kinds of sense. Uh, we used to do that when we were kids. You know, with pop bottles, I mean, I think pop, way back when, I mean, pop was 10 cents if you bought it at the store, 12 cents if you took it out because you had to pay the deposit on the bottle. But if you brought it back, you got your two cents back. Uh, we got away from that, and, but not because it wasn't an effective system. They just thought we'd do this instead. Why not return to it? And as you point out in the piece, a lot of other jurisdictions are doing it and doing it effectively.
1: Yeah, I mean my family uh we have a, a cottage in New York state and New York state has had a deposit return system for as long as I've been alive and uh you know it, 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 even small stores have a a system set up where you can bring uh uh cans and bottles back and uh uh you know the the, the again there there's history to all of this stuff right the the, the in Canada we had this weird episode in the late 70s and early 80s of exploding glass bottles. Um, Mm -hmm. And the government actually banned glass bottles above a certain size. And that's part of why we got away from returnable glass pop bottles um, that had a deposit return system. It's part of why the industry went to big plastic bottles instead. Um, And, uh, you know, the deposit return system is just sort of one thing. It It doesn't solve... The garbage problem it doesn't solve the recycling problem uh you know beverage containers make up like something like one to two percent of the total overall waste stream of stuff heading to landfills uh, in Ontario so I don't want to say that this would be a you know a total game changer it would not be a revolution in the way we handle garbage and recycling in the province, but it is such an easy, simple solution it is low hanging fruit, and every once in a while, I wish the government would just reach for the low hanging fruit and pick
0: it yeah. Yeah, it's it's because uh, even the you know as you say they revised system where they were going to ask you know the industry to, to kick in for that, uh, and and they were pretty adamant as you pointed out in the piece there that they said you know if industry doesn't comply they're in big trouble with us. Now they're kind of saying well we can't really force them to do anything. So you know already they're pre- they're preparing for this their system to fail. So why not look for an alternative that uh, that you know, as you say is tried and true? Uh, I, I'd like to think that somebody at Queens Park is going to read this and say yeah that's not a bad idea. Uh, because it just, you know, sometimes the simple way is the best way. And this, like, as you mentioned in the piece here, uh, this this is a simple way. It may well be the best way for us to get this done. Well, and it is, it doesn't uh, conflict with the
1: blue box, right? There's going to yeah. be, you know, even if we did a, a perfect deposit return system tomorrow, we would still need the blue box for uh, newspaper and we would need to figure out plastic recycling. and That's something I didn't even talk about in this column. You know, we're, we're still going to have uh, curbside recycling collection uh even if we did deposit return, but they don't conflict we We can have the two systems uh operating simultaneously and and like lots of other jurisdictions do that too uh so there it doesn't um, it, it doesn't get in the way of any other government priorities you know uh, this is all happening as you mentioned in your introduction the the context here is that you know municipalities uh frankly, got sick of ha- having to deal with the costs of blue bin recycling because they felt that industry was, you know, when industry started slapping recycles uh, logos on all of their plastics, right? They did that without ever talking to municipal recycling agencies. And so uh, that caused a, sh- a huge amount of problems for municipal uh, uh, waste collection. They They still really haven't sorted out the plastics. That's part of what this whole transition to industrial responsibility is about, is trying to get industry to really own the waste that they uh, create. But the problem with this beverage uh, uh, situation at the moment, or one of the problems with it, is that it looks like the fee is just gonna go towards maintaining the status quo, because that's still the easiest and cheapest thing for the industry to do. Uh, In terms of prodding them to actually being a bit more um, responsible corporate citizens, I don't think that the the current system, uh, as it is set up, will do anything like that.
0: Exactly. Uh, It's a great piece. They can go to the tvo.org webpage and uh, read the piece in its entirety. Uh, As always, uh, John, thank you so much for this. Enjoy the long weekend. We'll talk again soon uh, when you write that other piece about plastics, okay? (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) Take care. John Michael McGrath from uh, TVO. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.